What makes a hero? According to philosopher and scholar Joseph Campbell, a hero is an archetypal figure who takes a journey from his or her ordinary world, goes out on an adventure, through a decisive crisis wins a victory, then returns home transformed with gained wisdom to offer others. This podcast explores real people, real stories, and the pivotal moments that changed the course of their lives forever. I was a product of a tough, rough neighborhood, but I said, that doesn't define me. No qualification, didn't define me. Came from a broken home, didn't define me. Oh yeah, he's black, didn't define me. Didn't matter. My mindset was I ain't gonna be who I wanna be, no matter what. And so I was able to overcome my circumstances and my environment and make something of myself. Oddly Harrison is a determined and committed hero. His journey could have ended in tragedy, but instead he channeled that determination and commitment to live a life of triumph, not only personally, but in the way he helps others divert their own tragedies. I was very honored to hear his riveting story. May you be inspired as to what is possible in your own life. I'm Belinda Lambs, and this is The Moment When. Oddly Harrison, MBE, is a name synonymous with British boxing. Fighting in the heavyweight division, he amassed a striking number of titles, including Commonwealth gold in 1998 and an Olympic gold medal in Sydney two years later. Oddly's remarkable success and significant contribution to sport was recognized in 2001 when he was awarded an MBE by the Queen, a member of the most excellent order of the British Empire. He brought boxing to the forefront of British sport and became a true icon. Since his retirement in 2015, he has worked as an ambassador for various causes, inspiring the younger generation to take up sport and positive pastimes. Oddly now lives in Southern California with his beautiful family. So how do we know each other? I am acquainted with your sister, Robin, and I saw Robin's uh, podcast telling her life story. You know, I, I put a post on Facebook saying, oh my God, Robin, you know, all power to you. Sending love and blessings and light and blessings. And then Robin said, oh, you should maybe do the podcast. So uh, Robin, your lovely sister, connected us and uh, here we are. Yes, so Robin gave her story and it was beautiful and it was. she told me the same thing. She told me the same thing. You need to talk to Audley. He has an amazing story. So here we are. Yeah, so uh, thank you for having me on. Well, it's my pleasure. So what was your ordinary world like before your world changed? So I'm from um, London in uh, England, the UK, and... I grew up in a rough, tough neighborhood called uh, Stonebridge in Harlesden. In America, you call it the projects. Both my parents are from Jamaica. They came to England uh, in the 60s. My mum and dad divorced when I was four. Uh, and my mum left the home uh, to start a new life. So my dad was left to raise uh, four boys. So you can imagine my dad out there hustling, trying to provide for the boys, and the boys just running wild. We didn't really grow up, we were kind of dragged up. We just found a way to survive in, in our community. But saying that, uh, I was a happy-go-lucky child. You know, I was definitely, um, you know, a smiler. 
I used to get into trouble uh, in school, but I always had the dimples that allowed me to kind of get away with trouble. Those dimples saved me. Oddly received his initial call to adventure in a most peculiar setting. The first time I was arrested, I got arrested at nine years of age. Because my dad was working, uh, I was basically locked up in the police station all day. Uh, my dad came to me at about 9 p.m. in the evening, uh, very annoyed with me. And I remember him maybe giving me a clip around the ear and, you know, saying, what the, What are you going to do with yourself? You know, this is just not acceptable. You need to, you know, be more productive and more positive. You know, he was just really exasperated. And, um, and I said, Dad, I'm going to be a famous sportsman. You know, and he, I think he gave me another clip around the ear and said, you know, well, how are you going to be a famous sportsman if you're, if you're out there messing around? I didn't know it then, but I had an epiphany. I had a vision. I said, oh, my God. It was so, it just came from deep within me saying, hey, Dad, I'm going to be a famous sportsman. Oddly's epiphany faded into the background as he moved into his teens. While he excelled in multiple sports, he also excelled in running the streets and getting into trouble. During this time, Oddly received another clue to his call. I had a fascination with the Rocky movies. Everyone remembers the Rocky movies, I'm sure. I remember being 12 years of age around a friend's house watching these movies, these Rocky movies, and being fascinated by boxing. But chasing all these different sports, very good at soccer, very good at cricket, very good at rugby, very good at track and field. I got to 16 and I was playing in a soccer trials, these tryouts. And I remember I ended up having a cleat from one of my um, friends, actually, because he was on the opposing team. He put his studs through my ankle. That ended my soccer trials. Uh, I was out for nine months. And at that age of 16, already having run wild, uh, already been expelled from school, I kind of really fell into that bad boy lifestyle. Eventually kicked out of the house. He was arrested six months later. And now here I am, sitting in a young offenders institution. I'm officially recognised as a bad boy and being punished and penalised. And part of me was kind of relieved because I'm like, OK, I've got my stripes now. You know, now everyone knows that I'm a bad boy. And it wasn't a tough situation in there for me. I was with the main crew. You're bullied in there or you're kind of the bully or you're with the popular gang or you're not. And I was kind of with the popular gang, so I was kind of able to, to survive in there. And I was very anxious, but I was just lucky that there was a couple of older guys in there from my neighbourhood who looked out for me. So basically, I'm locked up in a young offenders institution. No qualifications from school. What am I going to do with my life? And I sat in, in my cell and I thought, I've done this. I've got my, my degree, so to speak, in being a bad boy. But I don't want to come back to this. I don't want to be here again, losing your summer, losing your liberty and sitting in a, in a 10 by 8 room by yourself. The fun kind of wore off after a little while. So I was like, OK, I've got to find some other solutions when I get out. But not quite knowing what I was going to do. Oddly served 18 months in total, determined that he would find another pathway for his life. About three months after his release, while hanging out with his brother and some friends, Trouble erupted once again. So I ended up getting into a street fight with a guy that I was actually a friend with inside. Uh, ended up coming to blows. My younger brother used to box all the way through. That was his main sport. He didn't play a multitude of sports like me. Boxing was his only sport. And everybody, uh, my brother included, said, Oh my God, you look like a boxer in having this street to do with this gentleman. What began as trouble shifted into a powerful moment when for Oddly. 
It all started coming together the day his friend suggested he give boxing a try. We walked into that boxing gym and that was my pivotal moment because when I went in there and I moved around in the ring, I had all the confidence, all the swagger, had skills, you know, skills to pay the bills, as they say. I had that, that little spark, that little thing that made me think, oh my God, this feels like that epiphany that I had at nine years of age. I, I straight away went to the Rocky movie, straight away went to, this is the sport. This sport is gonna take me all the way to the top. I'm Belinda Lambs, and this is The Moment When. Today we're talking with Audley Harrison about his tryst with trouble and the lockup that led to freedom. His story continues. Bolstered with passion and focus, Audley poured himself into boxing. Committed to this new pathway, he was inspired to change other parts of his life as well. I decided I was going to go back to college at the same time because I didn't want to be another boxer. They say, here's a boxer from the streets with no qualifications. So I knew they were going to say he's from the streets. I knew they were going to say he's from a broken home. But they wasn't going to say, here's another guy with no qualifications. So I had to kind of do one little course, kind of like a foundation course. Then I had to do a diploma. Then I had to do another foundation course. Like, it was lots of hoops I had to go through. But I found it okay. On top of that, I was now working, doing security, working, doing fitness instruction, working as a, as a modern-day Uber driver. So back then, there was no technology of Uber, but I was working in a, in a local taxi firm, like Car for Hire. And so I was basically doing three jobs, uh, boxing and also studying. Oddly began to win amateur boxing contests as a heavyweight and climbed all the way up the ladder to the top 10 in the country. This led him to the door of the highly regarded Brunel University, which was ranked number three in the country for sports. I remember going to meet with the um, dean of the school and I brought my college teacher with me uh, for support. And we went and met with him, Tom Tranter. And he said, look, definitely you have the sporting credentials to get in here, but I fear and worry that if I let you in here now, you're not going to have the education discipline because you haven't got the A-levels, you was expelled from school, you didn't go to college, the traditional route. I don't think you're going to have the discipline to actually survive this course. But he said, if you went back to the college that you're at and you've done another year, it's called an access course, you do the access course, I think it will help you and then, you know, we'll get you long term and you'll be able to do it. You know, obviously, I was very disappointed, but I walked out of there and I said, OK, this is what I'm going to have to do. I'm going to have to pay the price. And that's exactly what he did. Oddly went back to college, completed one more year, and then once again knocked on the door of Brunel University. And I remember when I walked through that door, the smile on Tom Tranter's face, the dean of the school that I, I, I listened and I, and I came back. You know, I just basically turned that mentality. I just became everything positive, everything like was channeled into the right things. It just goes to show how powerful you can become once you channel your energies into the right positive direction. So here I am back at the university the year later and Tom Tranter became a great mentor for me while I was in university. He became a, a kind of guardian angel for me there. Bless his soul, now passed away. If I had, you know, situations where I, I couldn't handle it myself, I always had 
Tom there to reach out to because you, you can imagine this universe in top three in the country, but boxing wasn't part of the programme. So it was like a big thing for me going through as a boxer, especially somebody who had no formal qualifications. Oddly's life was filled with one achievement after another. He became an MC in the house music scene. He worked his other jobs, continued his studies at school, all the while winning more and more boxing titles. So 1997, I became the national champion of England. In 1998, I repeated it, became the national champion of England. So I was now two-time national champion, three-time London champion, and didn't ever go back to jail, didn't ever go back to prison, and really was just on a mission to be somebody and to maximise my goals. So 1998... There's a tournament in the UK called the Commonwealth Games. England never won a gold medal in boxing at this tournament, uh, my weight division. And also at the same time, boxing hadn't had somebody who looked like they could be a potential gold medalist for a long time. They hadn't won a gold medal for 32 years. So 1996, watching the uh, Olympic Games in Atlanta, I kind of pull it out there. I'm going to win a gold medal in four years. I started, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy everywhere I went. Oddly did a mashup with his degrees in sports science and leisure management. With his knowledge in psychology and marketing, he turned himself into a brand. I started doing my own press releases. I used to dye my hair all different colors. I used to do poems. I'm not only going to go win an Olympic gold medal in three, four years' time, I'm going to change the future of sport in Britain, boxing, by the way I'm going to brand myself and market myself. So 1998, I go to the Commonwealth Games and I dye my hair all tiger stripes. So I look like a tiger from my hair and I start doing poems and I start telling everybody who would listen, I am going to win the gold medal here and I'm going to win it in two years' time. So everyone says, oh, here we go, another loudmouth talker. Is this guy serious? So I ended up winning the Commonwealth Games, winning the gold medal, and as soon as I got the mic in my hand, and this was on national television in the UK, the BBC filmed it, I told them, in two years' time, you're looking at the next gold medal winner from Great Britain boxing. Up until that time, boxing had not been funded in England, which had put the athletes at a disadvantage to the other countries. After a poor performance at the Atlanta Olympics, it became clear that something must be done. Oddly, not only took on the challenge of getting himself to Olympic glory, but he also began to reform the sport in Great Britain. I kind of took on the system uh, and I created a boxing union of England. After we won the gold medal in 98 at the Commonwealth Games, I ended up doing a march and a petition to Parliament. So that's like marching to Washington, D.C. And we got people bibbing their horn as we're marching down the streets, say we should be funded. And we ended up getting like 500,000 boxing, which allowed a full team to then try to train, to basically try to qualify for the Olympic Games. Out of 48 European nations, there were only seven spots available in his weight class. Oddly needed to win three fights to qualify for the Olympics. I came across the world number one in my first fight, in my first tournament. I got to the box off, so I won two fights, and then I had the uh, semifinals. So I'm boxing for a place for the tournament. And then I ended up boxing the world number one from Russia, Alexei Lezin. And I was a late starter, so I only had about 20 fights as an international and he was so experienced, and he just he just outboxed me. It was really easy for him, and he, he beat me comfortably. So I lost that one. Then the second one, I, I didn't get a fair decision. I, again, I won the two fights, and then I lost in the box-off against a, a German, and it was just a bad decision. After losing the second fight, Oddly sat down with one of his mentors, Kevin Hickey, who used to be the head of Boxing UK. 
And he says, Audley, you know, it's, it's getting close. You've only got two more chances. And I was like, look, that was a bad decision. He said, listen, you can't worry about that. That's gone. You've got one coming up in a month. What do you think? And it's just like I had a shot of adrenaline running through me. And I just said to him, there is no way I am not going to do this. There's no way I'm going to let him take this away from me. He said, Audley, you've got the power in your own hands. You go there and be your own judge and jury. Typically, heavyweights are slow and ponderous. I was like quick, dazzling, and I just threw lots of punches. I made sure they couldn't deny me. Just There was just so much punches I was raining in on my opponents. So I won my three fights and qualified for the Olympics. With nine months until the games, the funding came through. Audley was able to quit his three jobs and focus solely on training. He prepared for each opponent he might face with a particular focus on the one who had defeated him, the Russian. So now we get out to the Olympics in October, the festival of sport, and I'm in the Olympic village. This time I dyed my hair like colors of the rainbow. So I've got all elastic bands in my hair with different colors. And every time I went to lunch or I went to dinner or to breakfast, I'd sit on a different table from a different country. So I'd go to India, go to USA, go to Russia, say, hey, I'm Audley Harrison, I'm a boxer from England, I'm winning the gold medal. Everybody in the village knew who I was. And they were like, who is this guy? Is this guy serious? You know, is he a jokester? Is he here? You know, what's he here for? And then the draw comes up. My first fight was against a Russian. Everybody, he said, oh my God, he lost to that guy in the first qualifiers. Now we know why he was just here messing around. He knew he wasn't going to last. He knew he was going to go home. While everybody's like ready written me off, inside, I was so elated. I was like looking up to the side saying, thank you, thank you. That's the one guy I knew I was going to beat if I faced him again. So by the time the first fight came up, there was a lot of attention that wouldn't normally be there for boxing. And so I had a lot of people looking in to see my demise and obviously I turned up and stilled the show so <laughs> I jumped all over him and uh, it was a good fight uh, it was four rounds I ended up stopping him in the third round with a big left hand and they stopped him on his feet and after that fight everybody knew that this guy from England wow he's serious and he could really be a contender for the gold medal so I basically had my second fight against a guy from Ukraine comfortable so that got me the bronze medal in my semi-final fight against uh, a guy from Italy, Pablo Vidos, this, this was the fight of the tournament. And because I'd made so much noise, even um, Her Royal Highness, the Queen, her daughter, uh, Princess Anne, and I don't think she'd ever been to a, a boxing match before, she came to my fight. I had 10,000 people in the arena all screaming my name by the semi-finals. Audley, 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 Audley. So it was like an amazing feeling to be in that arena and it was an amazing feeling to be in that kind of fight. It was an incredible fight. He was like a, a brute, really small and, and strong. And he just kept on attacking me. And I was, you know, I was like the gazelle bouncing in and out. And it was an excellent contest. That. During that fight, Audley encountered a devastating setback. He ruptured his left knuckle tendon. It had swelled to the size of a golf ball. And with only two days until the finals... The doctor gave him the bad news. Audley, you've done a great job, an amazing job, but you're not going to be able to box your final. Your knuckle is too bad. I'm like, listen, I came here for the gold medal. I don't care what it's going to take. I am getting in that ring in two days, no matter what. So I basically sat in that doctor's office, basically for 48 hours, pretty much, 
putting my hand in eyes, taking it out of eyes, doing stem, doing all different kind of treatments, trying to settle down my hand. The team was worried. The doctors were worried. How would Audley be able to pass his medical exam so he could box his final fight? An interesting side note. One of the rules in amateur boxing is that you must be clean-shaven. I hadn't shaved because I was so stressed being in with my knuckle. So I went to the International Boxing Association doctors and I was petrified that they're going to grab my hand and see and basically I'm not going to be able to box the final. Uh, I walked up to him. Uh, he's holding my hands, looking at my face. He said, Mr. Harrison, you're not shaved. Why are you not shaved? And uh, He basically sent me off to go and get shaved. I'm like, where am I going to find somewhere to shave? I'm in a you know, different country. I'm in, I'm in the stadium. He's like, I don't care. You have to shave. You know, it's just been really difficult. I had to leave the stadium, you know, go and find, like, say, a CVS, buy some shavers, rush back, quickly shave, ran back up there. By the time I ran back up there, everyone else had gone. And everybody's trying to leave so they can go to the stadium for the actual boxing match, which was somewhere different. So he basically just looked at my face to check that I was shaving. He said, oh, look, you've had three fights already. You're healthy, you feel good. And he just signed me off and let me go through. It was just like divine intervention. When I got to the, the stadium, they had to put an injection in my hand. You know, it was that painful, that bad. I just had to kill the pain in my hand. And I went through and I boxed my Olympic final. And obviously, you know, I punched him from pillar to post. I was not going to be denied and became Britain's first gold medalist. You're listening to The Moment When. We are a fan-funded podcast. If you derive value from these shows, then join our group of supporters by becoming a patron. Just go to patreon.com slash Belinda Lambs to become a monthly supporter. For as little as $5 a month, you can make a huge difference. Links are in the show notes. Today, we're exploring the derailing force of setbacks and the breakthrough power of resolve with my guest, Audley Harrison. So, Audley took the road back to his ordinary world. When he returned to England, the whole country knew who he was. Seven million people watched that fight. I couldn't go anywhere for a year. or It was crazy. So I was bestowed with an honours list from the Queen for winning the gold medal, first one for 32 years. The funny story from that was Her Royal Highness is walking out because after they give you a medal, then they, they walk out and you've got to line up either side of them. I didn't have any kind of crazy hairstyle. I just had a normal hairstyle. And as she walks past me with her daughter, Princess Anne, you know, she had a soft spot for me in terms of like, you know, she liked my story and she loved the way I turned my life around. As they're walking past all of the, the people with the medals, her Royal Highness stops and her daughter stops and they come over me and she, I lean down and she says, hey, you changed your hair. And hmm. it was like all the press said, hey, what, what did she say to you? I said, oh, she noticed that I changed my hair. Everyone's like, oh my God, they, they actually was watching him box. You know, it was just such an honour from where I had come from. If you told anybody, 19 years of age, this guy was going to go on to become an Olympic gold medalist, go on to become a university graduate, go on to become a household name, they would have told you, absolutely not. There is no way that this guy is going to be anything but dead or in jail or locked up. And so it's the power of positive thinking, it's the power of not being tied down by your circumstance. I was a product of a tough, rough neighborhood, but I said, that doesn't define me. No qualification, didn't define me. 
Came from a broken home, didn't define me. Oh yeah, he's black, didn't define me. Didn't matter. My mindset was I ain't gonna be who I wanna be, no matter what. And so I was able to overcome my circumstances and my environment and make something of myself. After that, I set up my own company, ended up becoming the first boxer to ever sign his own deal with his own companies. Had 22 staff, turned professional, had my own team, used to promote my own shows. I had an autobiography out. It was just one thing after the other, just accumulation, accumulation. There's another part to this story. Remember that Audley's mom had left when he was four years old? Well, she had remarried and had three more children. Audley had seen her once when he was 11, but other than that, she was absent from his life. Then about age 21, he went to the barber shop with his friend Paul. One of Paul's acquaintances happened to be there that day. And he says, oh, hey, Barbara, because they struck up a conversation every time they used to meet each other in a barber shop just to say hello to each other. So he calls her out. I look over and I said, Paul, that is my mum. He said, you're kidding me. I'm like, that is my mum. So I'm sitting there with my sunglasses on and my hat on. She comes up to my friend Paul and she says, hey, Paul, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And he says to her, hey, you better look next door. You better see he's looking at you next door. She goes, hoo, hoo, And I pulled down my, my glasses on my hat and I said, hey, mum, it's Audley. Then I saw her again at 26 in a supermarket. And again, she didn't recognize me. And this time I took real offense to it because I'm like, okay, the first time, shame on you, the second time. So I kind of shouted her out. And I kind of said to her, look, you just walked past me in the aisle. I'm your, I'm your, I came from you and you don't even recognize who I am. And it felt good to kind of get it off my chip rather than holding it down. When I look back now, that anger that I had, that kind of chip on my shoulder, allowed me to turn my life around. I had this like burning desire to make something of myself because of where I came from, because of what I overcame. But the biggest thing that I overcame was growing up without a mother. Though his own mom didn't recognize him, the world certainly did and continues to this day. Through his commitment to turn that pain into positivity, Audley was able to change the face of boxing in Britain. It is now a funded sport and the country has become a powerhouse, winning multiple medals. All because Audley dared to make his dream come true. Yeah, I'm blessed. You know, a great journey, a great story of overcoming my odds, defeating the odds, beating the odds, not being held down by my environment or my circumstance or by what people told me I could do or what I'm, I'm going to amount to be. You know, I know I had that epiphany when I was a child, but I was found a way to get online with that purpose, find my God-given purpose. And I was able to fulfill that and, and live it, you know. And I'm still 46. I've still got a lot of living to do and a lot of things I want to accomplish. But one other thing I used to always say as a youngster, I'm only getting married once and I'm only having kids with one woman. This dream came true as well. In another barbershop, in another country, a beautiful woman named Rachel happened to style Audley's iconic colorful braids. Rachel became his wife and they now have two wonderful children, Ariella and Hudson. The hero's journey isn't complete until the hero returns home with the elixir to offer others. I do a lot of public speaking in England. I'm a patron of a charity over there called the Samaritans, which deals with suicide uh, and suicide prevention. And I have a slogan called Never Ever Give Up. I actually released a song for the Samaritans in 2016 called Never Ever Give Up. 
And that's my thing about life. No matter how dark it is, no matter how tough it is, if there's a little bit of light, keep that faith, find that light. Do not give up on yourself. This life we have is so precious. It's like a one-time deal. There's no rehearsals. And so it really traumatizes me when somebody chooses to say, you know, I can't deal with life no more. And so I'm, I'm a real advocate of trying to live our best life however we can. Keep our story going, keep ourselves going. I spend a lot of time trying to uplift people, encourage people not to give up on themselves. Well, you know, I think about people that have been in your situation and they do give up and they don't find that thing or they don't take that window of opportunity and I wonder what the thing was inside of you that said yes versus somebody that says no to that call. Yeah. I, I don't know the answer to that. Do you? <laughs> no. Well, it's just like it has to come from within. I know a lot of people look for external resources, uh, whether it's through mm-hmm. the, the church, the synagogue, the temple. There's an outside influence. And, and I think faith is a big thing. Whatever your faith is, have something to hold on to. I'm not religious now. I grew up Christian, but I'm not religious now, but I'm definitely spiritual. I believe there's a universal power. Something goes wrong in me and I can't, I don't have the strength to deal with it. I know that I have faith that it's going to be okay. You know, God, the Mm -hmm. deity, whatever you call that universal presence is there. You know, hold on to that, have that faith. The biggest thing I, I'm an advocate of when I kind of preach to people is self-taught. To change the narrative, change what you're saying to each other. Unfortunately, most people are defeating themselves by what they're saying to themselves. So the, the main mm-hmm. thing about self-talk, it has to be positive. I am not strong today, but I'm going to be stronger tomorrow. I might be stronger tomorrow. You can't say, hey, I can't do it. I'm weak. I am worth nothing. You know, right now I feel like I'm worth nothing, but tomorrow I might feel better. You've got to believe in yourself that you can get yourself through it. Be your biggest cheerleader. I gave Oddly a few words about the way I experience him. Well, two things that stand out to me. One is I want to say you're a writer in the sense that you've rewritten your narrative throughout your life. Right. You know, after you left your upbringing narrative, then you rewrote your narrative of the typical boxer, the stereotypical boxer, and you became this other person. Yeah. And then here you are today, you've, you, now you're rewriting the broken home story. And, and the other thing that I see in you is that you keep going to a higher perspective. So you have an overview of life that allows you to go through the ups and downs without getting taken out, right? That's what right. you just shared is you can see that, yes, one day I'm, I'm in the dumps, but that doesn't mean that's the only day, Right. that that's the only option. Tomorrow, something might open up and I need to live in that higher plane so I can hold space for all of that experience of life. And you've had so many already and you still have more to come, obviously. Yeah. And I'm excited to see <laughs> what's going to happen with you. But I so, so appreciate you sharing this journey. It's really powerful and it was really fun for me to hear so thank you yeah just please i all i can finalize by saying please do not give up on yourself in whatever you're going through let it pass because it will pass love yourself trust yourself and, and be who you was born to be shine that star bright like a diamond no matter what even when it's tough try to smile and try to push your way through it beautiful thank you hardly no thank you belinda Oddly's journey continues to unfold. Since this story, he has encountered challenges great and small and continues to apply his acquired wisdom. 
You can learn more about Audley on his website, oddlyharrison.com, and follow him on Instagram and Twitter. The Moment When is produced by Soul Mind Productions. Music is composed by Jeff Lambs. This episode was sponsored by these generous patrons, Jean and Susan Miller and John and Karen Ferraro. We are a fan-funded show, and your contributions help to bring these inspiring stories to the world. You can show your support by becoming a monthly patron at patreon.com slash Lambs. You can also listen to other episodes at themomentwhen.me and your favorite podcast platforms. We welcome your social media love by following and liking us on Instagram and Facebook. You can find all those links in the show notes. Stay tuned for many more fantastic episodes coming out each month for your inspiration and transformation. Until next time, I'm Belinda Lambs.